I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> Hello and welcome to today's Cheeky Scientist radio show. I have a very special show for you. We are talking about resumes. Everybody wants to know what to do with their resume, why they can't get hired by uploading their current resume. Now, if you are a PhD looking for your first industry transition, you probably have found, you're probably listening to this because you found that uploading your current resume, maybe it's even your academic CV with five, six pages isn't getting you any responses. You thought it would be easier than this, but it's not, it's much harder. The first thing I wanna tell you is your resume, it's one very small part of an industry job search. Uh, industry job search is not like academia where everything relies on a letter of recommendation from your professor, your PI, your advisor. Everything doesn't rely on your CV. They're not looking for a detailed uh, chronological description of your duties, your, your work history. It's, it's not like a peer-reviewed journal article. Uh, they want to see a very short synopsis, a one to two page document selling yourself, selling them on why they should hire you. It's really a marketing document. If you don't like that, too bad. That's the way it works. You have got to position yourself correctly for the position that you want. Now, if you are a PhD looking to get your second industry job, the first thing I want to say to you is you need to keep your resume up to date. Too many people get hired into their first job, and then they have to start from scratch all the way over again in their job search. You should be keeping, and you've heard this in academia, always keep your CV up to date, always keep your resume up to date, always, always, always. And that's where I'm going to start. Your resume is going is going to stay with you, even though it's a one to two page document in industry, you need to keep it up to date. When I got into industry, I was able to get a promotion within six months after being in industry. And I'm saying this because the only reason I was able to do that is because I documented my progress at that company and the results I was achieving. And I leveraged that to get a promotion. I was making over $100,000 within six months in industry because of that, because I understood that a switch went on finally after going through months and months and months of uploading resumes when I was trying to get my first job, all of the pain that I went through to get hired. Once I was hired, I said, I'm never going to experience that pain again. And I didn't. And so if you're listening to this, and I know, I know you, I, I know you're there, you're listening, you, you're hired, you haven't updated your resume at all. You could be let go tomorrow and have to start from scratch in your job search again. Sure, sure. Maybe you've had the experience of a job search before. You'd have an idea where to start. But you're forgetting all of the results that you've achieved. You need to document those on a daily basis. That's the first point today. Keep your resume up to date. It stays with you. You know if you've been hired before that the resume that you submitted gets pulled out with the hiring committee and they review it when they come back to your candidacy. The higher quality resume, the better off you'll be in your entire job search. You'll be paid more if you have a higher quality resume. And of course, if you also negotiate, it can only help you. Now, a good resume, it's not enough to get you a high paying job in industry, but a bad resume is enough to not get you hired. 
A bad resume is enough to keep you from getting hired in industry. You need to keep it up to date. You need to constantly be thinking of the results you help the company achieve. Constantly be connecting the dots between what you do in industry and what brings the company money in terms of revenue or profits. And we'll discuss that in a later point. I recently did a workshop uh, with a university and I was reviewing resumes. It was just one-on-one, -on -one, but I had 10 or 12 people in a row come in. All of them but one came in with a resume that had education at the top. That was the main section. Everything was uh, really pointing to their education. A couple of them had an objective statement, you know, their contact information, but it was then it was education, PhD. Oh, now we're going to hire you. I'm going to tell you how to structure your resume. Every single one of them that I sat down with and asked them about their resume, they immediately they immediately talked about their technical skills that they were doing in academia. Some of them were STEM, some non-STEM, interdisciplinary, right? It was all across the board, life sciences, chemistry, agricultural, social sciences, humanities. All of them focused on their technical work. And since I had worked, I have worked in industry in many different industries and obviously across industries, we have a lot of global 500 partners at Cheeky Scientist. And so we, we've seen a lot. We, we know what's out there. We know the techniques that industry companies are using. We know, for example, that while you might be pipetting or doing something that's leading edge in academia, very likely at, in an industry company, advanced robotics are doing it or uh, a slew of technicians, or it's being outsourced to a CRO, a contract research organization. You need to understand how industry works before you write your resume. Once you're in industry, you need to keep your resume up to date. This will stay with you. You've made the decision to transition. You need to keep your resume updated and with you. Point number two, actually write your resume. Take time to make the best resume possible. So many PhDs sink into the comfort of what they're used to doing, and they don't sit there in the discomfort of writing their resume. It's hard to write a resume. It's not fun. Writing a resume is like trying to write your first book. It's going to take a lot of work. It's like trying to get an entire paper done that you're going to submit in one sitting. That's how painful it can be. You have to sit down and do it, though. The reason it's painful is because you have to think about things in a different way. You have to actually think about the results you've achieved. And this is why most people never set goals. I like to make a comparison between you know writing down a goal such as, I want to make more money. I want to be happier in life. Everybody has these hazy, generalized goals. But if you try to put a metric on it, right? what does success actually look like? What's the result? How much money do you actually want in the bank? What, do you, what salary do you actually want? Do you even know what salary you want? Have you even written it down? The exact salary, the lowest number you're willing to accept? Do you even know what results? You've achieved results. It's easy to just blank out and say, oh, I haven't achieved any results. You have. Don't blame imposter syndrome. You've achieved results. I'm going to tell you likely which ones you've achieved. You just haven't quantified them because it's difficult. You have to activate that deeper part of your brain, right? System two of your brain where it's not a snap judgment, not something easy or general. You have to actually dig in. It's long division. Okay, so you got to get out of the learning loop and you got to sit down and execute it. I've had people pay me $2,000 to write their resume. That's how much they hate it. And that's easy. Easily, I can get any uh, a high number of people of PhDs 
who are unwilling to do their resume to pay $2,000 for resume reviews. I don't do it as much anymore because it's just trading time for money, but that's how much people hate it. So I can put a number on how much people hate it. Now you can get others, especially non-PhDs to write your resume for you for $300. Now I'm, I'm not gonna write your resume for you. That's not why I'm saying this. I'm just putting a number on it so you know how valuable it is and how painful it is to do. You can get so-called specialists to write your resume, usually for a couple hundred bucks. You know, sometimes it's up to a thousand dollars with other people. I've seen it. And the resumes they write are awful. They're not for PhD level jobs. They do not know what they're doing. They do not work. I can give you the names of hundreds of PhDs who have used these services and they didn't work. So they joined the Cheeky Scientist Association because A, a resume, like I said, it's good ones, not enough to get you a job. B, most people have no idea what they're doing when they're writing resumes. They're, they're using advice from the 1990s on how to write a resume. You cannot do that. Okay, so you have to sit down and write your resume. Your resume should tell a story, the story that you are the perfect candidate for the position at hand. Every resume has to be targeted for an individual position. That being said, you can get your resume templated. You can get a resume done calling out your biggest successes, right? Especially if you know which industry you want to get into. Let's say you have, a, you, you, you have your uh, goal narrowed down to one or two job titles. You can get your resume templated, get everything that I'm about to say done. And then you can just change some of the keywords, some of the results. You can adjust it, retarget it for each individual position. Because every company is going to refer to certain skills in a different way. Every company is going to have their own proprietary methodology. They might have a different project management system. So there's going to be words you want to put on your resume for the specific company and position at hand every time. Every resume should be targeted. You got to sit down and do it though. And uh, I would say you want four solid hours to do it. And then you want to come back to it for a couple of hours and perfect it. And then you're going to spend less than an hour on it every time you retarget it for uh, a different position. So number three, during that time, the biggest thing you want to do is brainstorm results. Brainstorms all the results you've achieved. They can start as general results. And you have achieved results. Papers, uh, reviews, presentations, poster presentations, funding, uh, systems, right? You've used protocols, lesson plans. These are systems that are very valuable, right? Methodologies that are very valuable in industry because that's what allows a business to scale. If you can create a better system, a better way of doing something, you will be seen very valuable, whether it's something operationally, something in terms of project management. Discoveries, you can quantify discoveries. That's a quantifiable result. Projects, completed projects or sub-projects. You know, your thesis is a project, but you had a, many other smaller projects that made that up. Every one you complete is a quantified result. Break everything down in terms of a result. So brainstorm what these results are, all the things you have done. They might start as job duties, but you're going to refine them into a result, a deliverable, and then you're going to quantify it. And this is painful. It's supposed to be hard. It's a cop-out to say, oh, I don't have any results. You do. And you want to discuss your achievements in terms of results. It's not even about the which results you've achieved. It's about the fact that you understand the importance of results and that that's the language of industry. They want to know you can deliver, period. It's performance-based in industry. It's not based on how long you've been in a certain role, okay? 
it's not like academia where the longer you've been there, you can get paid more just for being there longer. It doesn't work like that. Number four, number four, you need to do this now. Even if you haven't transitioned yet, how have you made or will you make the company money? If you're currently working in a role, you need to be thinking on a daily basis about how you can make the company you're working for money. What do you do right now that is making the company money? And then you need to put those results, tie that together to the results that you're putting on your resume. Believe me, every single day at the highest level of every business, the CEO and the CFO are sitting down together, figuring out how to increase revenue, the top line, right? Increase sales of a product, a service, whatever it is that they do, and increase profits. So reduce expense, expenses, increase their overall profits. So what are you doing or what will you do that will increase the company's sales? Will reduce their expenses. And this could be somewhat indirect. Maybe what you're doing is increasing productivity. Maybe you're brought on into an operations role and you're increasing the productivity or reducing waste to so you're saving money or increasing profits. Make that link very easy to understand on your resume through the results that you've achieved. How have you done this in your current situation, in your current lab? How, what results have you achieved that have helped the lab make money? Do you have like one data point on a grant that got funded? Are you doing something for the department that's helped raise funds in any way? If so, you need to, to put it down on paper. You certainly need, need to talk about what you've done that's relevant to the position at hand and show an understanding that whatever job you're getting into, there is a way for you and that you actually get this. There's a way for you to make the company money. Now, for a lot of PhDs, that's just, you can't even fathom that, right? We're, we're taught to think and work in the realm of knowledge, knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We want to work for a company. It's our biggest fear to go to the dark side in industry and be tied to a job that all they do is care about money. It's not about that. It's, it's at a value exchange. A company wants to grow. A university needs to grow. Universities are in such trouble right now because they're not growing. They are a business and they've been running their business very poorly. They've only been surviving on cheap labor of postdocs and grad students and adjuncts, and that's why they're failing. So if you want to get into a position in industry and you want that company to continue to pay you more and continue to grow, you got to be on board with them getting more sales. Increased profits, reduced expenses as far as wasteful expenses. Let's say you want to get a job in an R&D department. You're going to be formulating or testing new products. Great. If one of those formulations works and is turned into a product that goes to market, there's your link. You help formulate or help test at some point along that spectrum of innovation all the way to commercialization, right? And supporting a product in market, you were involved. Just point that out. That's as simple as it is. Number five, less can be a lot more. I told you one to two pages max for your industry resume. Lots of white space. I always, whenever I talk about this, I always think back to grad school and writing papers and going in, being so brainwashed by academia <laughs> that you want to add as much information as possible, going into the margins and decreasing the margins, taking it from 1.5 spacing to single paragraph spacing. Nobody else in the world does this. Hiring managers, recruiters, most of them do not have PhDs or technical knowledge. They do not want to see a lot of clutter on a resume. They want to see it, a lot of white space. They know you have a PhD. 
and you have more education than them. You probably even like to read. Most people don't. <laughs> so they know you can understand complex information. You can be trained on the job in complex topics. You know more than them about complex technical uh, information, technical uh, strategies, whatever your background or, uh, or training is in. But can you explain things simply to different audiences? Can you show a higher level of organization through your resume? You want to use lots of white space. You don't want it to be cluttered. You're not trying to fit as much information in as possible. So the, the standard margins, the standard spacing for the resume, the standard fonts will work. No tricks. Number six, so what are the actual sections of your resume? Six sections should be included. Your contact information at the top. Your name at the left. Uh, left margin and the right margin. You need to have your uh, contact information. I do recommend putting a phone number in your contact information, a phone you'll actually answer. Of course, your, your email phone and then your LinkedIn profile. Not a LinkedIn profile with a bunch of characters at the end of it. Go into LinkedIn, adjust your settings and choose your name. You might have to, if somebody else has your name as the, the ending of the URL, you might have to put your middle initial, your middle name, but make it shorter choose it, put it on your resume at the top in the contact information. Next, no objective statement. This will make you look 100 years old. Don't do that. Instead, write a professional summary. Your three biggest career highlights, preferably in two lines, three at the most per career highlight. Each of those bullet points, those three bullet points, has three parts, which I'll go over uh, shortly. Then your work experience. Notice we haven't got to education yet. Then your work experience. Now, for most of you, you're going to have only academic job titles if it's your first job. If you have only academic job titles, at the very least, I want you to put, let's say it's postdoctoral fellow, graduate research assistant. Put a career that you've had for a large company, even if it was a restaurant, even if it was in retail, something you did as a summer job, just to show them that you've had a job with a big brand and have done something client-facing. If you're a waiter, waitress, whatever it is, add that information. It's a pro tip. It works because most hiring managers and recruiters, they can't identify with you, which makes it them, it's very, very hard or harder for them to like you because they don't have a PhD. They, have, they don't have high, a higher education degree. They're, maybe they're not in STEM or they don't have an interdisciplinary background, but they used to also work at a grocery store. They used to also work at Friendly's or another restaurant. I don't even know if Friendly's is still in business. Uh, the fourth section, education. This is where you put your education. Your PhD is enough here. Okay, you can put your PhD and your master's. No more than two. You're not going back to your high school diploma. Fifth section, skills. Skills, your technical skills. This is where you can put three different columns. I wouldn't go more than five bullets per column. Uh, and make them relevant. You're not putting, you know, Microsoft Office, et cetera. Come on, this, these are PhD level jobs. You want to put instead, you want to put uh, your certifications that you have that are relevant to the job at hand, the, the medical devices, the instruments, the research uh, uh, devices or reagents that you've used or the, the methods, the techniques, you know, the inter interdisciplinary uh, techniques that you've used in the field or otherwise that are relevant for the position. And then finally, honors, awards, and hobbies. Put your honors and your awards in there, of course. Your academic ones are fine, but 
your last line should be a volunteer experience. Ideally, that's non, you know, academic. So not another academic thing, something that you've done, a, you know, like a hobby, a sport that you volunteer coached. Uh, you've done something with a, a large volunteer organization like the, the Red Cross or Habitat for Humanity. Uh, ideally, the, the best case scenario is you have a, a volunteer experience like this, and then below it, you have a hobby, something you just enjoy doing that shows that you're well-rounded. And you're not just a lab rat or a bookworm or whatever else they might see you as as a PhD coming in. But you also like arts and crafts. If you can't think of anything, I always say you like to go put something about liking to be outdoors. Uh, you like to go hiking. If you walk to the lab or the classroom, okay, you can say you like hiking. You're just wearing different shoes, different, uh, different terrain. Okay, number seven. Your skills are more important than your academic titles. Your skills and your fit for your skills to the job at hand is more important than your publications. It's very important. And I understand. Uh, I couldn't fathom not putting my publications on my resume when I learned this. So I'd come up with excuses. I'd say, well, you know, this person told me that I should have my publication, so I'm going to do it. Or, you know, this person even said I shouldn't have my PhD on my resume. I should have my master's instead. Who's this person? I mean, this is a sample size of one. I mean, this, are, this is not, uh, you know, this isn't a scientific study of people telling me things. It was just people's opinions. When I looked at the data, I found that companies don't care about publications, not in terms of putting a work-sided section on your resume. If you're putting a work-sided section, you got to think about how ridiculous this is. Like a hiring manager or recruiter is going to be like, oh, I really want to know the volume and issue number of the journal uh, that they put were published in. No, they, they don't need to know that. You can put it in one of your bullet points. Say I did XYZ resulting in three publications, including a nature publication. Put it up in your professional summary at the top if you really care about it. Because 80% of an employer's time is spent in the top one third. It's called the visual center, which is really just your professional summary of the resume anyway. Your academic job, if you only have worked in academia, I highly recommend using a functional format. It's been around for decades completely allowed, right? I have PhDs, but you can't do that. That's, uh, you know, that's manipulative. It's not manipulative. As an employer, I look at a resume. I'm trying to find the information I need as quickly as possible. I want to know if it's a good fit. That's all I want to know. So quit confusing them with your academic job titles. You're pulling your academic job titles out in bold in your work experience section like they care that you were a graduate research assistant. Instead, pull out a transferable skill or a technical skill that was used throughout the job posting. You know, micro RNA expertise in bold. And then underneath that, you can put gained as a graduate research assistant at XYZ University. Go to cheekyscientist.com. Look at our resources, our blog. Look up functional resume format. It will change. It will change your entire job search. The, the amount of responses you'll get uh, as soon as you make that change will uh, push you forward, get you past that sticking point uh, in your job search. Number eight, a three-part bullet point strategy. So this is our proprietary methodology here. Uh, we share it very openly now, and it works. It's the most important thing you can do next to getting your resume down to two pages with lots of white space and, and having the right format, the right sections. Every bullet point needs to start with a transferable skill. The number one reason they're not hiring you is because of your lack of transferable skills. And really, it's your lack of communicating your transferable skills. You know what the two most important skills? This is from McKinsey and Company, one of the largest, the big three 
management consulting firms in, in the world, said that the two skills were, that have the biggest deficit in industry right now, research and analysis. Those are transferable skills, the broader skills that give rise to like the niche technical skills. Dow Chemical did a big survey of lots of different employers asking them what were PhDs, new graduates lacking after they hired them? What did they find out they were really lacking? Which skills? Number one, they lacked an understanding of industry. These transferable skills, the soft skills, start with those, especially hiring managers and recruiters without a PhD. That's what they're going to be looking at. And with a quantified result, and sandwich those two things together with your technical skills. So for example, uh, research and analysis skills, uh, along with experience doing microRNA techniques, resulting in three papers, including a nature publication. That was done on the fly. Two lines, transferable skill, technical expertise, quantified result, easy to read. That's what employers want to see. That's what will get you hired. It'll certainly get you a phone screen. Number nine, transferable skills. There's three types, self-oriented, systems-oriented, and team-oriented. These trend, right? They trend with the topics that are in the media very often. So right now, the economy is down. There's a lot of risk. So risk mitigation, risk management, change management is very important. You have all of those skills. You've had to manage risk in the classroom, the lab. You've had to manage change. Technical literacy. A lot of this just comes down to knowing how to speak the language of industry, knowing how to say the words in uh, say the keywords they understand. I'm going to tell you how to find out about those keywords here shortly. Uh, technical lit literacy, regulatory acumen. How about your work ethic? Again, how about just even telling them that you can do research and analysis, the words they'll understand. Not, you know, you can do uh, Western blotting or uh, something super niche and specific that you learned in academia. Something probably outdated. Don't forget self systems and team. You want some from each of those. And, and again, consider where we are right now. There's a lot of workforce decentralization. So a lot of training, a lot of project management will be done virtually. So project management, virtual project management, virtual mentorship, virtual mentoring. Number 10, the keywords. So how do you target every individual resume for each open position? Go to the job posting. Read through it, highlight the skills, transferable and technical that are used over and over again. Count them, rank them on the ones that are used the most to the least. Take the ones that are used the most and put them on your resume the most. Now there's a way to hack this, another, another invention of cheeky scientist. Copy and paste all of the text from a job posting and put it into a word cloud. Word cloud, wordclouds.com, uh, wordle.com all for free. You can go beyond that to get started to create your resume template for the jobs that you want. Let's say you know you want to get hired as a data scientist. You have a great program for that, the Data Scientist Syndicate. Uh, I definitely recommend you can, you can check it out. Just go to uh, programs.cheekyscientist.com. But let's say you want to be hired as a data scientist. Find 10 job postings for data science positions. Find 30, 100, doesn't matter. Copy and paste all of that text put it into a word cloud, you're going to get a very strong understanding of the skills that they're looking for in the data scientist industry. 
the biggest skills in the word cloud are the ones that, that, that matter the most. Take out the top five or 10, put them throughout your resume and put them in there strategically. Show keyword connectedness as, as in it has to make sense. You can't just put a repeating list of the skill over and over again. Number 11, we got two more. Number 11, your resume should be a setup for the interview. It should set you up for success. So think about the interview questions you will be asked. There's only four types, credibility, opinion, behavioral, and competency. So credibility, when they say, tell me a little bit about yourself, which they'll do from the phone screen stage onward, uh, they're, what they're saying is, is what you say better match up with what's on your resume. They'll ask you questions. Hey, you said this on your resume. Tell me a little bit more about it. If you know that in advance, you can have your resume set up to talk about the things that you're the best at, that you're the most confident in. Make the things you want to talk about the easiest to find on the resume. Do a hint of bolding or even underlining so that their eyes jump to it and they talk about it. Make sure you talk about the, the leadership style, your strengths, your weaknesses, your core competencies. That's, those are opinion-based questions that are going to come up. Talk about them on your resume. So you can also refer to your resume. And it just shows that you are aligned. You have backup. You're, 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 you have a reference, which is your resume. And even though you wrote it, it makes you a much stronger candidate when you're organized and when you use your resume to set up your interviews for success. Competency. You, they're going to ask you, if, especially if it's a technical position, they're going to give you a scenario uh, that's, that can be technical, not technical in terms of you know, whatever technical means to you in academia, whatever your techniques were, but on the job technical. Well, if you came in here, our goal is to do this. This is our project management methodology that we use. Here's a problem we're currently having. How would you help us solve, solve it? That's competency-based. So which part of your resumes can you point to to show your competency in a similar area? Well, I had that similar problem. If you look at my resume when I was a postdoctoral fellow uh, and I was able to set up a collaboration with another lab and, and because of that collaboration, uh, we were able to meet our deadline and come up with a unique idea uh, thanks to somebody else who was in the lab and uh, our uh, sharing of ideas that, that solved the problem. Set yourself up for success in the interview. Behavioral questions. They want to know how you handle stress. That's what every behavioral question comes down to. They want to know, how are you going to respond to a stressful question? So embed the answers in your resume, in, the re in your resume bullet points, right? So your work experience section, as well as your professional summary should have multiple bullet points. And these bullet points are your answers. It's, your resume is your cheat sheet for your interview. Be able to point to it and say, well, if you look at my work experience section here in bullet point two, I mentioned how we went through a very stressful time with XYZ deadline. Or I mentioned how, you know, we had a, there was a, a new guidelines that, you know, conflicted uh, with the guidelines that we were uh, expected to adhere to previously. So we had to set up a panel to overcome this and come, uh, you know, be able to merge the guidelines into something that made sense for everyone. Whatever it is, you can think about it in advance in terms of those four interview question types, credibility, opinion, behavioral competency. Number 12, ignore other people who don't know what they're talking about when it comes to a PhD level resume. Do not waste time getting any professional resume writer who doesn't have a PhD or who hasn't worked in industry to help you, including your career counselors, who are lifetime academics. 
Ignore them. Okay, they, they don't have any on the ground experience. They're, they're, they're going to, without even realizing it, justify their own career path of staying in academia and sabotage very often subconsciously your job search. I see it happen all the time. Now, there's some gems out there, some people who have done great work that are lifetime academics, but most have no idea what they're talking about. Don't listen to your best friend's cousin who said whatever. Don't listen to the PhD down the hall that got employed somewhere else and they used a huge works cited section and uploaded their CV. Great. There's outliers for everything. We're going over best practices here. What will work the best for you and help you get hired the fastest into the right role? So think about it scientifically, right? You're not going to just accept information from anybody without analyzing its credibility. Now, of course, if you set up an informational interview with an employee or somebody that uh, even better makes a hiring decision at a company, and they tell you, this is what I want to see on your resume, then do that. That's highly specific advice, right? So if you talk to somebody at the company and they tell you a little tweak and they're like, oh, actually, I want to see this section over here, whatever else, take that advice. Again, these are best practices. Hopefully they help you. If you want to learn more about joining our flagship program, you can go to the phdsgethired.com. That's an easy way to remember it. phdsgethired.com. It's the Cheeky Scientist Association. We have some very big things coming up. If you go to that page, you can learn about our flagship program. I did mention the Data, data Scientist Syndicate, one of our fastest growing advanced programs. You can check that out as well. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully this helps take your resume to the next level and helps you get hired or get promoted. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's Cheeky Radio, C-H-E-E-K-Y R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs? and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform. 
with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD, and remember that knowledge is power, and your network is your net worth. 